Here at Another Not Guilty, we appreciate your support. Don't forget to subscribe or follow us. And please visit our website at anothernotguiltypod.com. Do you have a not guilty story you'd like to share with Angie listeners? Visit our website to submit your info to be a guest. Want to check out our updated new A&G merch? Another great reason to check out our website. Want access to the raw, uncut, unfiltered interviews and have a chance to play a role in the creative process? Then visit our website and check out our Patreon link. That's anothernotguiltypod.com. Now, without further ado, here's this week's episode of Another Not Guilty. So, yeah, I had to bring up the nudie pictures. The, I mean, the prosecution was going to use that and say, hey, look, he saw her nudie pictures and that's why he punched her. I tell him, you know, I start making a record because every time there's any violation of eliminate, I'm just going to ask for a mistrial always um, because I wouldn't be doing my duty as a lawyer, I think, if I didn't. So uh, that's the end of the second day, right? Um, and something happened that I've never seen in any jury trial I've ever had. The judge is like, okay, we're going to need the jury to be back here tomorrow. And the jury collectively groaned. Okay, and like a really, really loud groan. It's season three of Another Not Guilty. I'm David Moore, here along with my fellow public defenders, presenting to you the untold stories of the criminal justice system. Objection! That assumes there's justice in the system, which there ain't. I prefer calling it the American criminal system. These stories are about the not guilty as public defenders get on a daily basis. In an unjust criminal system. With the deck stacked against us. All right, welcome back, everybody, for another Not Guilty. Uh, Great, great podcast today. I promise you, everybody. Uh, First, let's give it up for our fellow public defender, Evan, for letting us, uh, for hosting the podcast at his uh, apartment studio. Not that it's a studio, but it's, anyways, thanks, Evan. Appreciate it. He doesn't want to co host, he doesn't want to be on the mic, but you guys know him from episode 17 from. The first season, Pop Goes the Weasel. So check him out. That's who he is. He's a great guy, great lawyer. Uh, also a great round of great uh, co-hosts with me today. Uh, my buddy Omid's to my right. How Hello, you doing, Omid? I'm doing great. Doing great. Very happy to be here. Very excited about this next Not Guilty. Yeah, I know. Excited to have you along, and I'm glad to have you here today. And also co-hosting for the first time is, uh, is Molly. Molly, a fellow public defender, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, David. Nice. Um, this is where you say long-time listener. First time, long first, time. First time, long-time fan. Really always wanted to be here <laughs> to say something like that. This it might be the, the best, yeah. the best <laughs> day of her life, I think. <laughs> this could be it. Living the it's dream. all downhill from here. Yeah. And uh, guys, our guest today is a, a dope-ass lawyer in our office. He's a little bit on the new side to our office, but he's been a public defender for a while. It doesn't matter. He's pretty good. His name is Shahan. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me here. All right. And uh, Shahan, uh, tell us about the case you're here to talk about. Man, um, where to start? Uh, we could start uh, at the very beginning. Yeah. Let's, okay. let's begin <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> so um, I get a new case uh, in my box. I see it's a domestic violence case. Um, it's not only domestic violence, but also false imprisonment. When I was reading it, I saw that um, it's a young kid. He has one other conviction. He's Hispanic. Um, He is on felony probation right now uh, on a a hit and run with injury from the past. 
Why don't you go ahead and tell us what, what did the police report read then? What was alleged to have happened? So basically, um, there are these two kids, uh, my client being one of them. Uh, him and his girlfriend had rented an Airbnb uh, in downtown Los Angeles. Um, and the neighbor had called the police a couple times because he had, she had heard that uh, there was a disturbance. She said that there was yelling, there were things being thrown around, uh, desks being moved. Um, and she called the police uh, and the police, I guess, didn't get there immediately. Um, they waited a bit and she kept calling and they mentioned that she had called a couple times. Um, and when the police got there, he wasn't there anymore. Um, and they enter into the house and she's the, the girl is there, his girlfriend, she's crying and they ask her, you know, what happened? And she's like, he hit me, he hit me, go get him, please. Hmm. So they start looking for him and they find him a couple blocks away, just walking and they arrest him. Well, I was just I was just thinking that one of the first things I, I heard was that he's on felony probation. So this case doesn't just have misdemeanor consequences. He potentially has now felony consequences. Right. So this is kind of a much bigger deal than your average misdemeanor case. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, if it wasn't for the felony probation, um, most likely he wouldn't be in custody and he was in jail the whole time. So when I met him uh, and, you know, at, at arraignment, he was in custody. They didn't let him out because of the felony probation. And uh, when I was talking to him, I told him, hey, look, you're, you could be in here, you know, you're probably going to be in here close to a month before we even get to trial. Um, you know, how do you feel about that? And he said, you know, I'm not guilty. I don't want to admit to anything I didn't do. And I said, I'm right there with you. So, uh, all right. So you, you beat him. He says, I'm not guilty. You plead him not guilty. And then what happens next? So what happens next is I, uh, first of all, the first thing I notice is that he has a huge cast on okay. his right arm, okay? And um, I am, I'm like, when did you get that cast? He said, I've had it for a bit now. And I wanted to take pictures. So I took some pictures, um, took some pictures of the injuries that he had. And those injuries were gnarly. Like, he had scratches all over his body, the front of his body, the back of his body, his sides, and like deep gouges. You know, it looked, it looked pretty gnarly. So. Um, and did they seem pretty fresh? Yeah, they looked really fresh. I mean, it had been a couple of days since it happened, but it it looked a couple of days old. It didn't look like they were like scars from a long time ago. Uh, it looked like it had just happened. And where on where on his body were they? Uh, they were, you know, on his chest, on his sides, like on his rib cages, um, on his back, upper back, lower back, on his arms. Um, it was just all over the place. So are you, are you taking pictures of him in lockup then? Yeah. So I basically uh, got permission to go back there and take pictures. Um, I had somebody else with me just in case, uh, another public defender uh, that was there just, you know, just in case I needed to bring those pictures in. He could lay a foundation. He could talk about it. Um, yeah, don't want to be a witness in your own case. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I was telling him, you got to take your shirt off, you know, like if you're okay with it. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. He took it off. He started turning around and took a lot of pictures. Okay, cool. So then uh, what's the next step in the case then? I'm reading through the report, and one of the things that really stood out to me was that um, she tells police that he punched her with his right hand multiple times in the face. Now, um, and I realized that it was the same hand that had his cast on. So okay. you, would think, you would think that if somebody's hitting you with a, a cast, first of all, would the cast break if you're applying f that much force to it? And uh, second, um, what kind of injuries did that person sustain, like to their face, uh, especially getting hit? Like he was a, a little smaller than her. He, he, you know, he's like five, seven, you know, he was like 
120 pounds, you know, um, and she was like 5'8 or 5'9. She was bigger than him a little bit. She was athletic. Um, I, we found out later that she was a soccer player. Like she was sponsored oh. to play soccer in, in college. So she had really muscular legs, muscular arms. Um, and when I looked at the pictures of her injuries, she didn't have any injuries on her face. Did she have injuries anywhere else? So she did have bruises on her legs. And, Where? Um, so in her thigh, her left inner thigh, her uh, the, the bottom of her left leg, on her right leg as well. It was about three bruises in total. They were um, the pictures of the bruises she had taken herself. The cops didn't take any pictures of the bruises. And she had provided it to the prosecutor who then provided it to me. Oh, so she took them like the next day or the next week or presumably presumably that's that's, that's what she told them Did so she says the police reports in these dv cases they have like a diagram of like the the assailant and the victim and they show where injuries are on the diagram on the day that they go to the scene did they show those injuries those bruises did they show that they observed them on the on this alleged victim so um, I'm sure you guys aren't surprised to hear this, but uh, a lot of cops are really lazy when no. they're when they're writing those reports. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> That's not that is just no, not well, a reality <laughs> I've seen. Lazy is actually a generous word. You know, dishonest. Uh, you know, is more like it. But uh, there were no uh, diagrams or pictures. There was no drawings on it because usually you're right. Uh, officers do draw little pictures like injuries here, injuries there, and they mark it off. They tick it off on the box. And none of that was covered in the report. Hmm. Um, it, it was only mentioned in the narrative. Did your client testify at trial? Yes, did, briefly. Did, can you tell us, do you want to tell us a little bit about what he said when you first met him in terms of the de your defense? or? So my client is um, on spring break. His girlfriend's on spring break. And he's like, you know what? I really want to do something really nice for her. So I want to um, get an Airbnb for a week. I'll fly her down here. Um, she's out of state. We'll spend a week together. Um, so that's what he does. He, he gets an Airbnb. He flies her down there. And they're together. And, you know, the first couple days, it's great. Um, they don't have any issues. And where's he from then? Is he out of state also? He No, he lives in California. He oh, lives okay. here. And I just want to ask, can you paint? They're young? They're young, yes. He's like uh, 20. She's like 19. And like, are they newly dating? What's the sort of status with that? So they had had a, a romantic relationship for a long time, except they were on and off. So they were uh, together one day and not together another day. They were, once she moved, I think they took a little break. And then they kind of rekindled that. And that's why he, he wanted to like rekindle the romance by having her come back. So that's why he invited her over. So they were having a lot of fun. They uh, they were drinking. They were just you know doing what kids do. Uh, what were they drinking? Sorry, sometimes it matters. <laughs> like okay. If it's like tequila, it's like one kind of night. If it's like wine, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. They were really clear that it was Hennessy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of it. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, the whole handle was done that night. So they had drank together a handle that that day. That's a lot of henny. Yeah. That's wow. So, so he wants to do something romantic to get her, the winner back. You just didn't want to bang her all weekend, all week or something? I mean, maybe, maybe, but I mean, I didn't ask him about that. I just, you know, um, we, so he, I'm thinking like, cause he's not like he's asking her to move down to, from, down from Washington. He's like, why don't we just hang out for a week? No, they probably had a mutual understanding okay. of, you know, of what was going to go down They're trying to have week. like a sex week. Yeah, probably. Um, let's they, just, let's just be real. Yeah. They were having a sex week. 
Um, but Hennessy and Airbnb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gets me going. I'll tell you that right now. That's what that sounds like. I think yeah. I, the thing is, is he lives with his parents and I think she lives with her parents when she's not in school. So they, they probably had a lot of like, they wanted to have a little freedom, you yeah, know, fair privacy. Right. So um, where was Airbnb? What part of LA was this? It was downtown. Oh, it was downtown. Yeah, it was downtown. Ooh. So it wasn't okay. far off uh, from where we were at. Okay. Um, and so they were having a great time. And then a couple nights in, he um, he sees uh, her phone light up in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. It's always the it's, phone. It's always yeah. the phone. Always the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, "What? what is that? Show me. And she shows him, and he's looking through it, and they're they're both really drunk mm. at that point. It, they're still like, they haven't slept it off yet. And he scrolls through her, uh, she, he takes the phone and he scrolls through it and he sees that she had sent, you know, naked pictures to somebody else, you know, of herself. Like oh. during the week she sent those pictures? No, I guess from before. Oh, okay. She, he was, he was looking through her phone, you know? Um, and she said, well, give that back. You know, he's like, no, we're done. That's it. It's over. Uh, I, I can't be with you right now. Uh, I need you to leave. Okay. So she wasn't having any of that. She said, no, I'm not going to leave. They started yelling at each other. And that's, I think, where the point where the neighbor started hearing the yelling mm-hmm. and started calling the police. So neighbor called the police while they were yelling. A lot of stuff was going around. My client says that he was packing her stuff and trying to get her to get out. He was trying to get her to get out. And she wasn't leaving. So he, he started going to the door. And as he was going to the door, she stopped him. She said, no, you're not leaving either. And she's like, we're going to talk this out. You're not going to leave. And he's, and he says, no, I'm going to leave. And she stopped him and uh, she started like pushing him. And then he started like trying to push her away. Mm-hmm. And essentially they, they're drunk. They're stumbling over each other and uh, they fell to the ground. And he says that she was trying to get on top of him and he's trying to get on top of her. They're rolling around on the ground. He says like, he doesn't know where his arms are flailing. She's hitting him. He's feeling it all over. And he pushes her off, runs out of the room. So that's that's his version of the story, and that's what we went with. Got it. Okay. And it makes sense considering the injuries because first, the even if the bruises were caused by him, um, even if um, those bruises look like they would be bruises that you'd sustain from like rolling around on the ground, it doesn't look like somebody. Di- why would somebody directly like kick you into the inner thigh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You're not gonna target the leg. Unless you're like the older brother and giving someone a dead leg. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like a wrestling Classic move, move or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it makes sense that he was being defensive about it, especially considering his injuries. He was scratched all over. Yeah. The scratches of the back are a defensive scratch as well. So maybe he was on top while she was like trying to roll on top. Yeah. You know, I could see it. I could see it. Does she have the, those like super long nails where you have like the nail art on it and stuff? She Ooh. did. She did have acrylic nails, uh-huh. uh, oh. but they weren't like super long, but they were like moderate. So he had just left. Now the the police get there, and when the police get there, she is uh, locked up in the bathroom. Um, and um, she's locked. <laughs> she's locked up in the bathroom, and the police have body worn video. So the the body worn video, as I'm watching it, uh, the police enter. They're like, "Is anybody there?" You can't really hear anything. And then they go to the bathroom and they just knock on it. And the, she unlocks the door, opens it, and she starts wailing. Like she sees that they're off cops, basically, and she starts wailing. It's very obvious that she increased the volume and she started getting really hysterical as soon as she understood that there were cops. Right. She's playing yeah. it up. 
Okay. Yeah. And then what the cops take our statement. They list, they interview the neighbor. What, what else? Cops are like, Hey, look, everything's fine. Just tell us where he is. What's he done to you? So they're like already playing into that whole thing. Like you're the, vic- you're the victim. He's the perpetrator. We're going to go and get him. Don't worry. What's he look like? Um, can you tell us what he did to you? Those, those kind of questions. Very unwoke to assume gender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's he done to you versus yeah, what yeah. happened? Exactly. So, so the cops are already on her side. They see her um, and they go and get him. And he doesn't, he's just walking down the street. He doesn't even realize that the cops were called at that point. Right. And they're like, we're going to arrest you. And he's like, what for? And he's, they're like, we're just in a, you're for domestic violence. We're going to take you in. And he's like, okay, just gets in the car. Super cooperative. Wow. He's, he's a really nice kid. Did he seem like, what was, what was her physical appearance on the body one video like? Was it disheveled? So she, yeah, her her hair was disheveled. She was like all over the place. Uh, she was slurring when she was talking. Uh, she had trouble focusing. Um, I think it's probably because she drank half a handle of Hennessy herself. And she's trying to come up with a lie. Too. And, and yeah, so I think, so our theory was that she um, didn't realize what was going on exactly. When she, when she saw the cops, she knew that something had happened and she knew that what she did was wrong. So she tried to cover up for herself. She told the cops what the cops wanted to hear. Well, she's pissed. She's packing up her stuff, like ending their, you know, week. And she got caught doing whatever she got was doing. She's probably doesn't feel so great. Yeah. And she didn't have anywhere to go, really, because uh, her parents didn't know that she was in town. Um, so and she was in town with, you know, with him spending the whole week. It's not like she could just go home. All right, so then that's kind of what the case is. The cops come. She tells them that he punched her, and does she admit there's a, a they grappled on the ground or anything like that? Or she says that he w- she was trying to get off of him. So it's basically just opposing viewpoints. He says that she was trying to get on top of him, and she was hurting him. She says the opposite. And then you know, jumping back, what was the um, so when she told your investigator a totally different story then? So what she told the investigator is that. Um, that they grappled around and then that he left. And um, when he left, she also left. And that she went to get her friends and uh, she went to the bottom of the lobby of the, you know, of whatever the apartment complex. And she met up with her friends. And after her friends were there, she took her friends up to the room with her to wait until the cops got there. And the video of the cops entering the room is just her in the bathroom alone, nobody else in there. Oh, it was oh, just, it was, it was just man, completely made up. It. Right. Yeah. Lying about having friends. That's just sad. I don't that see. The really, thing is, oh man, that's it doesn't tough. even make you sense. Don't want to see that. The lie doesn't even make sense. It no. Doesn't really, it doesn't even do anything either. It doesn't help her case. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make it I, I think she was just trying to. Well, it's hard whenever you have. Um, a false story to keep up the falsehoods. It's like, right. it's easier to tell a true story over and over again. So I think that was it with her is that she didn't, she didn't realize that um, she was going to have problems keeping her story straight later. Okay, cool. So then are we, uh, are we ready for trial then? Is that about it? I think uh, in terms of pretrial, uh, I mean, one other thing is that his family, my client's family was always invested in it. You know, yeah. like they were always there. Uh, they, uh, they were really invested in the case. He seemed like a really good kid. And uh, he he was really young. He was going to school, um, and he was trying to learn a trade. So, and before he got caught up in all of this, and uh, getting you know going into custody for 
even like a week uh, can ruin somebody's life, you know, especially if they have a job, if they, um, you know, go to school, they have, you know, any other obligation, um, it's going to really mess with you. So he was in jail for 30 days uh, before we had the trial. And the crazy thing about it, and the reason why I mentioned the felony probation in the first place, is that the district attorney was... the district attorney was the person or the, the prosecutors that had the felony probation and the city attorneys were doing the misdemeanor case. Right. But the district attorneys came down and they said, you know, we can just we just want to revoke and reinstate probation. No terms on the felony probation. And, you know, we have no problem with that. All we want is for him to get out so that he could keep paying restitution to the people that he owes it to for their felony case. Oh, yeah, because this is counterproductive. Exactly. For them, and that was my argument to them, is like, hey, look, every day that he's not working is another dollar that's not being paid towards those people. So the the prosecutors have no problem, you know, with uh, revoking and reinstating, but the judge didn't want to deal with that. He said, we're going to hear the probation violation concurrent with the trial well because the judge wants to use the specter of a what was it a maximum three-year sentence on the felony the specter of a three-year sentence to try to force him into taking a deal and not going to the trial right he wants to scare him into not going to trial and that's exactly it and that's exactly how the judge approached it in this case he said are you sure you want to go to trial you understand that uh, i can find that you violated probation even if you're found not guilty so yeah. they were offering him time served, amid felony probation, and then Im- and plead to the the new charge for probation as well. Yes, right? and from day one they were giving him time served. So, so he could have got out of custody anytime he wanted wow. to. Wow, exactly. And I that's why I really have a lot of respect for him um, because a lot of people in his situation, and I'm not saying I don't have respect for them either, but a lot of people in his situation would uh, just take any charge really to get out of jail. Hey, ANG fans, thanks for listening. Got Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Like us and follow us. And please leave a comment if you like this episode. So then you're ready to start trial. What are the 402 issues? Motions to eliminate, exclude evidence, things like that. I knew that based on conversations with my client that he had told her in the past that he was suicidal. Um, And I didn't want any of that being brought up during the trial because it was not related um, was that in the report somewhere then? Uh, it was not in the report, but I thought that she might bring it up. Okay. So, um, so okay. Because I, I think it was going to be related to the questioning, uh, you know, has he, has he hit you in the past at all? You know, has he been aggressive? And uh, one of the questions in DV a lot of the times is like, is the person suicidal? Have they said that they're going to kill themselves if you leave them? You know, that's a pretty common question, I think. It's a, it's also a little check box on the police report. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. that. Yep. So then what did the judge rule? So he said, yeah, it's not relevant. We don't need to talk about that. He ruled it out. I also said I don't want any mention of any kind of uh, drugs being used um, because, again, I had spoken to my client and I had anticipated perhaps that his girlfriend would start mentioning that he uses drugs that are totally unrelated to what happened that night. Because they weren't being used that night. Exactly. Are we talking weed or meth? We're talking about uh, Xanax, Valium. Oh, that too. Yeah. So... (laughs) Um, prescription medication prescription. Yeah, prescription medication. prescription medication so the judge said yeah totally not relevant not going in so now uh, so I you're off to a good start with the judge then right the judge is fine yeah I, okay. i'm liking his ruling so far okay um and the okay so the prosecutor um she says well i want to bring up the fact that he's in custody 
What? Whoa. Okay. So, and because you have your client dressed in a suit, right? Exactly. So, the reason that we dress our clients in suits, especially when they're in custody, is because, you know, due process issues, we don't want the jury to know that they're in custody. It's like it's bias, it's prejudice. It also humanizes your client. If they're wearing regular suit clothes to a thing, as opposed to wearing a jumpsuit, you know, people look at them differently. Exactly. There's a reason why it's not allowed. Um, So, and what was the prosecutor's reasoning for wanting to bring it up? So the prosecutor had anticipated that what I was going to say was self-defense. Um, and she was going to argue, and this is what the judge said, just said, why do you want to mention that? She said, I want to mention that because I have these pictures. I had, like, I had given her those pictures that I had taken of him because I was going to use it in evidence. I knew that I was going to use them. So I had to comply. I had to give her the discovery. So she she said, I know that he's going to say that these injuries were sustained during that night, but I want to argue that those injuries were sustained while he was in jail. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So without evidence, she wants to argue that the place that she wants him to go for for a longer period of time is so dangerous <laughs> that within one or two days, he sustained multiple injuries. Exactly. That's incredible. That, that was audacious. That was her theory. <laughs> that is audacious. So the only other place that you can sustain those injuries besides in this like Airbnb sex room is in jail. <laughs> 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 Um, so what did yeah, the judge so say? The judge was just, he was incredulous. He's like, uh, there's no way there's, he said, he, he said, there's no way we're going to bring that up. You're not going to bring it up. And then I thought that was that, you know? And one other thing that I usually mention in my 402s, I mean, it, it should happen anyways, but I say, you know, I, I want the court to order the prosecutor to admonish their witnesses specifically not to mention any of the things that have been ruled out. Uh, just in case later, you know, they say, oh, well, I had forgotten or just to not give them an out afterwards. Okay, good. Yeah, that's very smart. So so she went and it supposedly admonished everybody not to say those things. Well, but, so what was the what was your voir like then? Oh, I I think that's a really fun part because so we had a lot of interesting characters on the panel. Um, we had uh, a marriage counselor um, who uh, had a lot of opinions. Um and we had a doctor, an ER doctor. And this dude was trying to get out of jury duty since the second he was in there. And uh, you know you know those kind of people, right? Yeah. Every doctor I've ever had on the panel like just wants to get out of jury duty. Yeah, I mean, it's like they've got lives to save. Mm-hmm. You know? like you're an optometrist, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells the judge before anything starts, I really need to go, I need a hardship. And the judge says, why? He says, I am an ER doctor. Um, and and he said they really need me over there and the judge said well you know we really need you over here Um, oh nice and it's your civic duty so you gotta sit through here so i'm like okay well at first i didn't know how to feel about that but i knew that a big part of the evidence that i was going to bring up is the fact that the cast uh didn't break upon impact and the fact that he, he had punched her multiple times and she sustained no injuries so I thought, you know, maybe I can talk to him about this during Wadir and see what his opinions about it are. And I, uh, I don't know how I got away with this, really, because I, I don't think it was probably appropriate. But I started talking to him specifically. I'm like, hey, juror number X, um, what do you uh, do? You think if somebody's punched in the face like multiple times, they'd, something would happen? Like there'd be some marks. 
and, example. Yeah, for example, and then and no objection. It was oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and then and then he's like, yeah, you know, like their their nose would probably break and like there'd be blood <laughs> everywhere. And I think he's trying to make it seem like you don't want me. You know, yeah. like he was telling oh, me, he's telling me you don't want me, and I'm like, I really want you. I really, <laughs> I really want you. Um, so I I'm like, okay, you're a lock. I'm gonna get you in there. Um, and um, the the marriage counselor was saying like, oh, you know, these domestic situations, it's like, it's really hard to tell who's at fault because a lot of the time it's like, it, things happen so quickly and um, a lot of the times the women are the aggressors, you know, not the males. Wow. And, you know, like, he's like, I've, I've and uh, it's underreported is what he was saying. And I'm like, okay, well, I like you too. Yeah. And this um, is a professional. This is a professional. So um, we're going through it and um, he gets kicked. The oh. marriage counselor. Okay. Yeah. But the doctor doesn't get kicked. Oh. And I think it's because the prosecutor is like, well, you know, like he really doesn't want to be here. He'll probably be a quick guilty and just get him out. You know, that's an interesting theory. Okay. From, okay. I don't know. That's, I was trying to put myself in her shoes. Honestly, I don't know what she was thinking. Um, she, Possible she wasn't. I mean, we can't assume. <laughs> <laughs> we have to always assume she might not be. Yeah. And the doctor, when he got in, when when they were asking for challenges, and I'm like, no, I'll accept the jury. I just looked directly at him, and he's like, he looked at me like, why, <laughs> why, like <laughs> why? Take <laughs> me, <laughs> but I am a, a doctor. He, no, <laughs> he thought I was his ticket out. I'm like, nope, nope. That's great. What was the prosecutor's vaudeer like? She was she was not that great, um, and she was very quick through it. Um, and we started, we started our opening statements. All right. So how'd that go? So I, I laid it out for them. I said, you know, um, he really wanted to make this week work. He really wanted to make this romance work. And, you know, she, uh, when he found out that she was cheating on him, she wanted her to leave and she didn't want to because she wanted to stay with him. She wanted to, uh, she didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and, uh, and she reacted by lashing out at him, by hurting him. And um, when she found out that the police were there, she had to cover her own ass. Did you bring up the nudie pictures? So, yeah, I had to bring up the nudie pictures. The, I mean, the prosecution was going to use that and say, hey, look, he saw her nudie pictures and that's why he punched her. And that's why he like got really angry. That was that was there. It, it's very clear that that was going to be their theory. Hey, a and Thanks for supporting the podcast. Sorry for getting this episode out to you a week behind schedule. I've been duking it out in the trenches of the criminal justice system with back-to-back trials. Clients first, as always. I have big plans for the podcast this year. If you'd like to donate to the cause, please visit our website at anothernotguiltypod.com and click on the Patreon link. So how does the the evidence roll out? The the prosecutor puts up the, the complaining witness, right? The alleged victim. The prosecutor puts up the complaining witness, yes. She goes up on the stand. And she, when she goes up there, you know, it, it was rough because she was articulate. She was uh, smart. Okay. Okay. Um, she gets up there and she's able to tell her side of the story. She says, um, he saw those pictures. He got angry and he wanted me to leave and he pushed me out. He started hitting me. And at first she doesn't mention getting hit in the face with the cast. Um, and the prosecutor doesn't bring it up either. And she doesn't mention uh, drinking either. So it's just, uh, you know, a really sanitized version of what happened. You mean on direct, she didn't mention any of this at all? No, on direct, she didn't mention any of that at all. She said that she was punched. She didn't say where or how. Um, And she said that they were rolling around on the ground. 
and that he was trying to stop her from leaving. You know, what was her demeanor? Was she like, was she kind of like meek? Was she like, like embellishing? Was she loud? Like what was, how was she coming off? She was even keel. It was kind of, um, I want to say emotionless almost. Oh, okay. Like yeah. Clinical. Yeah. Clinical. It was clinical. Um, and I feel that would have played a, a big part of what my argument would have been towards the end. Um, but one thing that happened during her direct is that the prosecutor said, you know, um, tell me about your relationship with him. You know, how, how had it been prior to that date or whatever? And she said, well, he was always using Xanax. And then the judge wow. and the judge just said, stop, you know, um, as if him saying stop and punctuating that yeah. was it was also just worse because then it's like everybody just heard Xanax no and stop. I told you not Xanax to say Xanax. Hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there so, was no Xanax testimony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you wave your, the, yeah, yeah. As you wave your hand in front, these of aren't them. the droids you're looking for. Yes. <laughs> so the judge takes us back into uh, his chambers because, and he brings the court reporter in, and I tell him, you know, I, I start making a record because every time there's an, any violation of limine, I'm just going to ask for a mistrial always. Yeah. Um, because I wouldn't be doing my duty as a lawyer, I think, if I didn't. So I say, judge, I want a mistrial. It's, you know, prejudice my client. There's no way they're not going to hear that and forget it, you know. And he said, no, 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 I think we can cure this. So he goes out there and he says, motion denied. And he said, you better go and tell her not to mention any of that again. We've talked about this. So we go out there and um, she goes and talks to the complaining witness, the prosecutor. And um, judge says, everybody disregard. Just forget that ever happened. Oh, you know, God. that's it. That was, that was his only instruction. He's like, you should disregard that testimony. It's not included in evidence. You should not consider it during deliberations. It's like the least helpful thing you could do. It's the least helpful. So, um, so that happened, right? And then almost immediately after, like within a couple sentences, um, the prosecutor's asking her, you know, hey, um, can you tell me, uh, has he ever been violent with you in the past? And she says, no, he hasn't been really violent with me in the past, but he's always said that, you know, he would kill himself. Um, mm. You know, he, he would kill himself if I were to leave him. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, my God, just... Every rule has just been broken. So the judge, so he asked for another mistrial then? So the judge says, okay, we're going to go back into chambers again. And he stormed off. He was angry. Um, and we go back there and I said, judge. Does he, is the witness just left on the stand in front of the jury? The, no, the, the jury goes back into, you know, their jury room. Okay. He tells, okay. He tells them we're going to have to take a little break. Okay. Um, but uh, he wants to see us in chambers. He doesn't want to do it outside. Um, and I'm, before we even go on the record. And he said, you're getting really close here to mistrial. And I said, well, Your Honor, I'd be comfortable if we just go outside and you see that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> like, how about now, please? And, yeah. And he what's, said, what's the prosecutor? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And he said, sorry. Oh, no. And he said, okay, we'll do this on the record. And what is, what's the prosecutor saying? Prosecutor hasn't said anything at this point. She knows that she's messing up. Okay. She knows. Um, and we go out there and I say, hey, Your Honor, there's a specific reason why I ask for the court to tell the prosecutor to admonish their witnesses because to avoid things like this. Um, and it's not happened just once. It's happened twice within the span of a couple minutes. It's ridiculous. Really, this is a point for a mistrial. And uh, I moved for a mistrial. The judge said, you know, I think I can cure this too. Um, <laughs> he said, "He said I don't think it's that big of a deal. But uh, prosecutor, you're getting dangerously close. You're getting dangerously close. 
And what um, dangerously? I have, I, I have no idea. It's uh, like <laughs> is that a legal <laughs> thing? <laughs> all your emotions in lemonade at this point. Yeah, he's holding up like his fingers, being you're this close. Um, it's it's you're an inch away. It's a legal standard I hadn't heard of yet. <laughs> I feel but. like the next question is going to be like, and what was the 911 caller's opinion about what was happening? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now prosecutor's really close. Prosecutor's really up. close to mistrial. Precipice. Um, <laughs> so what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> so what happens next? Um, so she starts talking about the case, and she doesn't make any more slip-ups during the direct of the complaining witness. And I get up there, and I, I start telling her, hey, look, um, you were drinking that night, right? And she says, yeah, um, eventually, you know, at first she's like, you know, I don't remember, blah, blah, blah. Um, eventually she says, yeah, I was drinking and you, you drank half a handle of Hennessy, right? And she said, yes. And then I said, and you remember everything clearly. And she said, yes. Cool. And, and I just turned around and looked at the jury for a second. <laughs> you know, just, a little moment. Yeah. That. It's like, did everybody else hear what I heard? Okay. So. She says, I remember everything clearly. She gets into uh, an argument. <laughs> she gets into an <laughs> argument with him. Um, and um, and she says that th- she was not stumbling over herself, that she was in control, and that she she was trying to leave, but he wasn't letting her. And that he was really drunk, and he was stumbling over himself, and he was uh, you know, intentionally hitting her. Is that the false imprisonment? She was trying to leave, but he wouldn't let her? Exactly. So okay. she was saying that she was trying to leave the room, and he was stopping her. Um, and then she, but she didn't mention how she was hit. So I said, well, you told the police that, uh, he punched you with his right hand, right? And she says, yes. Um, that's the hand with his cast. Yes. And you didn't have any injuries to your face. No, no visible injuries. Ooh. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> nice. Well, I'm emotional like, scars. Yeah. Emo- Surface. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and I said, she, he punched you really hard multiple times in the face, right? And she's like, yeah. And she just kept digging herself into that hole. And I'm like, okay, I have you right where I want you. And that's, that's where I'm going to keep you. Um, and, and I said, well. That sounds a little bit like a domestic violence. Uh, yeah. aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'm, I have you right where I want you. And that's where I'm going to keep you. And false imprisonment. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Jeez. Wow. Wow. Uh, I'm a. <laughs> I'm a method attorney. <laughs> yes. Cool move, bro. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I like to live those A little controlling there yeah. with your uh, cross-examination. <laughs> huh? <laughs> so that actually segues into the video because... So the prosecutor plays the video on redirect. Yes. Okay. What happens next? So I, I tell her, you know, that's when I wanted to impeach her with the investigation stuff. Okay. Um, because uh, I'm, I'm like, hey, look, you, you were alone there, right, when the cops came. Yeah. There's nobody there with you. Yeah, there wasn't. Um, and you hadn't had any friends over that day. No. Um, and you never left the room, right? No. And I'm like, well, you talked to an investigator from, from my office, right? And she said, I don't remember. And I'm like, well, you know, would this refresh your recollection? Show her like a little piece of paper. She looks at it. She's like, yeah. You told them that you had friends over that day, right? Yeah, I did. You told them that um, you went down to the lobby to get them. And she's like, yeah, I did, but. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just it's just controlling the situation. Like, just, just yes or no. That's that's all I want. Uh, yeah, because she was going to try to explain it away. Um, and um, I said, well, when you went up there, you said that you went up with your friends. Yes. Um, but nobody was in that room with you on that video, right? Right. 
Um, so you were either lying then or you're lying now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what you always hope to dream right. to come to when you're Same. impeaching, you know, yeah. like, it's like either lying now, lying then it's like, you're a liar. Um, and she's like, no, but, and then I'm like, uh, I'm done. I just left it there. You know, that's where I just stopped asking my questions. So you're like, you said recourse. you had friends and you didn't, <laughs> you didn't have any friends. And Nobody the, likes you. And this, <laughs> <laughs> So at, that's the end of the second day, right? Okay. Um, and something happened that I've never seen in any jury trial I've ever had. Um, okay. Which is um, that the judge is like, okay, we're going to need the jury to be back here tomorrow. And the jury collectively groaned. Okay. And like a really, <laughs> really loud groan. Wow. And I'm like, uh, when I was, when I heard it, I couldn't. I can't, I can't interpret that. That's either like really bad for me or really yeah, good. There's really, really good no, for you. There's no middle ground. I'm like, this is really good for me. There's no way. They're really pissed off at her. At Did the judge point. react to the jury? The judge. The judge started laughing. He's like, yeah, yeah. You guys gotta still come tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. And yeah, I didn't know how to react because I was like, wow, I've never. That I've was never. I've never that. heard of that before. I'm like, okay, well, there's the first time for everything. <laughs> Um, I'd like to think it's because they really didn't like the prosecutor. Did the jurors throw like lettuce and tomatoes at the judge or, or the prosecutor when they, when they moaned? When I saw them or when I heard them groaning, I turned around and I saw that the main perpetrator was that doctor. It was like, he was like <laughs> leading, he was like leading the choir, you know, like, ah, uh-huh. and, uh, he just kind of, he slinked out of there as soon as he could and, uh, nothing else. They didn't even look at the judge. Uh, me, the prosecutor, they just, they just left. They followed his lead. Yeah, the rest of the jurors. That's I'm like, really hmm, funny. might be the foreman. Nice. So what happens next then? So it's time for my case and I'm ready to go. I'm so happy. Um, my client, he's great on the stand, you know, like, okay. uh, I was worried at first because he seemed very timid when I was talking to him. And, uh, but when he goes up there, he, he tells it like he is. He says, he says, I was drinking that day. I don't remember exactly everything that happened. So I feel like that gives him a lot of credibility. Uh, you know, it, he's not denying that things were fuzzy for him. He's mm-hmm. not trying to sugarcoat things. And he said, I was trying to leave and she wasn't letting me because I was angry because I wanted to end the relationship and she didn't want it to end. So and he didn't downplay his anger about the jealousy of the pictures and all that? No, not at all. He said, he said, when I saw those, uh, I knew it was over. He wow. said, he said, he said, I knew that it wasn't going to go on. Um, and when I he, told her that he knew that she wasn't the one for him, like he, yeah. the marriage wasn't going to work. Out. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Um, <laughs> it was more than just a sex week. Got it. <laughs> for him, you know? Um, so <laughs> I mean, Airbnb is a lot of money for a young, for a young 20 year old, yeah, you know? I mean, dudes spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy, you know? Uh, so, they would do that for sex weeks though. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when I was 20, I would do that first. I mean, I did. There was no Airbnb. <laughs> we didn't have the Airbnb. Yeah. We had parents were out of town. Yeah. <laughs> we had Motel 6. <laughs> so, so client's great. Um, I think he's great on the stand. And uh, we get out everything that we need to get. I show his injuries to jury. And I'm like, look at these injuries. These injuries tell the story. You know, like... Uh, tell me what happened with these injuries. And uh, 
He said, well, this is when I was attacked. And I said, so you were attacked when this happened. You were attacked when this happened. I was trying to frame the narrative that he was the one that was victimized, mm. you know. Uh, and I think that the injuries really told that story. Um, I didn't need to, you know, work too hard to bring that out. Um, and I, we, I finished with my client. My client did a great job. He told his side of the story. And, um, and we break for a little bit. And she, the jury takes a break. Now... So the prosecutor, the prosecutor says, uh, judge, I want to bring something up. And the judge says, okay, well, we'll talk outside the presence of the jury. Um, and we go on the record and the prosecutor says, judge, I'm going to bring it up again. I really need to bring up the fact that he was in custody because I, that's a part of my theory that, um, he sustained these injuries, uh, <laughs> uh, he, that he sustained these injuries while he was in jail and not from her. So uh, my terrible theory <laughs> needs some evidence, Your Honor. Please throw me a bone. That that's part of my theory. So that's great. So the judge said, and he said, "Look, we've discussed this. It would be wholly inappropriate for you to bring that up. You are not going to bring that up." And she said, "Okay." And we wait a little bit uh, for the jury to come in, and the jury comes in, um, and. She gets up and he says, well, prosecutor direct or uh, cross-examination. She gets up and she says, isn't it true that you were in custody when you sustained these injuries? Whoa. Stop Whoa. it. First question. First question. Wow. First question Oof. after coming out. Someone was wearing her ovaries on the outside. Oof. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is ballsy. So objection. Oh, well, I didn't even need to. You object. didn't have to object. Yeah, okay. because uh, at that point, the judge said, all the jurors need to go into the jury room right now. And the, the jurors went in, and he didn't even say anything uh, about the case. He said, I need to go in my chambers and cool off before I talk to you. And he got up, and he walked off. And uh, <laughs> so it was just was, you and her alone. It was me, my <laughs> client and her. And, uh, <laughs> 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 Do you guys start talking about baseball? Yeah. Or what, what happens at that point? Dad's really I, mad. <laughs> Daddy's really mad. I right went now. up to the, I went up to the clerk and I said, I'm, I'm kind of thirsty. Is there any water around here? And I turned to her and I said, do you, do you, do you want any water? <laughs> Oh my god! Like, Can a prosecutor? Like, yes. Yeah. Right. Well, first to my client, I'm like, "Do you? Are you? Are you good?" And then, "Are you okay?" Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I sit down, um, and he said, "Okay. Well, both of you are going to come into my chambers, and we're going to bring the court reporter." Um, like, okay. Wow. So we we go into the chambers, and um, he starts saying, "You know, I think, quite frankly, that it's ridiculous that we mentioned this." three times each time I told you that you can't do this very specific thing that it's a you know a violation of your of the defendant's due process right it's a violation of everything we find holy under the Constitution essentially um, and that uh, you still brought it up and it was the first thing that you asked and he said you know that th that's prosecutorial misconduct miss prosecutor that's prosecutorial wow. misconduct and he looked at me and he said motion and I, well, at this point, it was actually really rough because I really wish that I didn't have to make a mistrial motion. I yeah. really wish that she didn't say that because I felt that everything was going our way. I felt really good about the evidence. Yeah. Um, and it's like, but I am obligated 
to make yeah. that motion. So it's like, um, so I said, yep, motion th- for mistrial. And he said, granted. So he said, I want to hear both of you back here in about 30 minutes as to why I shouldn't just dismiss this case right now. And, um, and I went back and I'm, you know, I, uh, I was talking to my client. I said, I need to look up a couple things. So I get on the phone and we have a wonderful appellate department, um, with our public defender's office that answer a lot of questions. Um, it's like the hotline. That's the hotline. It's yeah. the help me. I don't please. know something. Tell me something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I have 30 minutes. There's, I, I really need to talk to somebody that's like a hundred times smarter than me. Um, so I called the appellate hotline and I talked to somebody and they say, well, this is the case that you want to look at. It's really bad for us. <laughs> and he's like, well, if, if you make a mistrial, really what you need to show that, um, about the prosecutorial misconduct was that she, brought upon this misconduct in an effort to get the mistrial because she believed that she was losing. Oh, that's the standard that that she had to use it as gamesmanship in order for it it to be a dismissal with, with prejudice. So, and as you can imagine, that's, you know, a pretty high standard, especially with, uh, you know, judges as prosecutors on the bench, but with the jury's groaning and stuff, I know. So I, by the way, it's huge for a judge to say on the record that's prosecutorial misconduct. Yeah, they are. They always protect the prosecution. I mean, they, I mean, they try to do a good job of protecting everybody, but like that for them to even just say that—that's because prosecutors. That's an automatic referral to the state bar, isn't it? It's. It was a big deal, and I think she was very scared because she, her supervisor came down, and she didn't go on the record at all after that point. Her supervisor just took over. And the supervisor was citing the case that our appellate, um, you know, attorneys told me about. And I said, you know, Your Honor, this is a really high standard, but it's not an impossible one. And if anything fits, it's this case right here, where you specifically told her multiple times. Uh, I told her, I told her. Or even evidence. five minutes, five minutes before. Exactly. She goes on the questioning. She asks if she could do it. He says no. And she, her first question. So exactly. And um I told, you said all that. I, 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 what I, I just said, yeah. you said, uh, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I said everything. Every, I, yeah. I, I specifically, eloquent. categorically mentioned every single instance that it was mentioned that she can't say that and uh, the fact that she still said it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also mentioned that I believed that based on how the evidence was presented, that it was likely that we were going to win, that we were going to prevail, and that she elicited that statement and she elicited that the question really because she knew what the result was going to be, that it was going to be a mistrial. She knew she was dangerously close. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> <laughs> she knew how close she was. She knew that she was dangerously close. And on top of it, um, she said she asked the question that she knew that she shouldn't have asked after I had asked for a mistrial a couple of times. There's no way unless she was brain dead. Yeah. There was no way that she didn't know that that was going to result in a mistrial. Yeah. So judge said, well, I'm going to have to take this under submission for a little bit. Uh, he said, I'm going to rule on it today, though. I'm going to go back there and think about it. So at this point, the DA is called down uh, because of the felony probation violation. And the DA is saying, why am I even here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can I waive my appearance? <laughs> um, we're, we're just asking uh, for uh, revoke and reinstate probation. Let the guy out to, you know, do what he needs to do. So we wait, you know, with bated breath and, uh, the judge comes back. And when the judge comes back, he's, he says, you know, I've cooled off a little bit, but I'll hear from both sides. 
Again. Again. Okay. Before he issues the ruling. And I said, I basically reiterated what I had said before. And the prosecutor said, well, judge, what we're asking for is for you to walk back that claim of prosecutorial misconduct because it was clear that this was made an error. There's no way that she would have done that intentionally. Um, and et cetera. Now, this is what the supervisor said. This is what the supervisor said. So the supervisor is arguing that she's not a bad person. She's just incredibly stupid. So one thing that I didn't mention uh, throughout this whole process is that this prosecutor, um, and it's important to this next part, this prosecutor has a very heavy accent, a very heavy accent. So, and she, it seems like that she can't speak English really properly. Um, and, but she's been a prosecutor for years. She uh, went to a really prestigious law school. Uh, she went to undergrad in the U.S. She should, you know, she knows English. She she's knows done English jury language. trials before. She, she passed the bar exam. She, you know, she, she's written out, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs. So the, so the supervisor is saying her English is not that great. Yeah, the supervisor is saying her English is not that great. And so this is what the judge said, and really this is, it really, it's so gross. I sometimes, whenever I think about this case, I just feel really, I feel really gross thinking about it. Like I need to take a shower. Uh, is the judge said, well, you know, I heard her speaking English throughout the trial and it's clear that she has, uh, she doesn't have a good grasp of the English language. So I could see how she could have misunderstood. And uh, I don't think that she did this intentionally. I think it was a mistake. Wait, hold on. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Wait. That. Okay, so hold on. <laughs> He's saying that she cannot be held accountable for any words that are directed towards her because her English is bad. Is that what she's saying? She, He's he saying? said based on her grasp of the English language, oh, he didn't God. think that she would do that intentionally. So he said, you know, I was a little heated before when I said prosecutorial misconduct. Wow. So I am going to strike that finding and, and find that this was not prosecutorial misconduct. It was just error. Uh, well, they're kind of the same thing. So um. they're, they're <laughs> was, he, was he drugged? <laughs> Oh man, um, I truly didn't get it at all. I was heartbroken, um, and you know, I've, I'm used to that. I'm used to being heartbroken with the system because uh, that's really what we you know, that ha happens at the end of the day, and that's really what we're fighting uh, for is against that. You know, against that uh, the idiocy of the system. He um, felt so much pity for her. He didn't want her to get in trouble with the state bar. I mean, I think that's what it came down to, right? Like he big pictured it, and he just didn't want to hurt her. That, that's the sense. Could I'm she getting. be? Could she be disbarred if that? If, if this, or she can't be a prosecutor anymore, right? It, what I don't know. What like? What's the ramifications if it's actually prosecutorial misconduct? That it's potential suspension of your license for a period of time. It could be a, a suspended suspension. It could just be like a tap, tap on the wrist. You know, a slap on the wrist. Um, I don't know exactly what would have gone down, but I feel that he did feel bad for her, and that's why he said that. Um, and once I realized that's what the judge was doing, and I knew that I wasn't going to get any traction with the judge, he had made up his mind. I just went on the record and I shamed her as much as I could. Oh, I said she went. I said she went to you know Berkeley. You know it's a really good law Whoa. school. I said she passed the bar exam. She's been a prosecutor for years. If she's making errors like this based on her grasp of the English English language, she shouldn't be a prosecutor. She shouldn't be an attorney. And I said she should uh, really should just quit. How many of this juror's ER patients had to die 
for a trial <laughs> <laughs> that she just wasted. She threw it to the garbage. I almost I feel like any other trial she does now from now on, we we got to make a motion saying she can't be a prosecutor. Yeah, a judge has found that she her English mm-hmm. language is not sufficient. So I drafted an in limine motion. No, for that very <laughs> yes. purpose. And if anybody ever needs it, wow. you get you the can, transcript. And wow, uh, yeah, we we did order the transcript for that. Yeah. So, so what hap- what happened with your client? So did they translate the transcript for her into her <laughs> native <laughs> language? So that she could read it, right? She has to So if you it. thought how bad it was ended right there, it gets worse. And oh. um, it gets worse. Uh, so client is on felony probation, right? Uh, and uh, the judge says, and I'm telling the judge, hey, look, revoke and reinstate the felony, proba- felony probation. That would make it so that you don't have to hold him in custody because there was a no bail hold and he was refusing to change the bail. That was the only thing keeping him in. The He was only in on the domestic violence case on a nominal bail, just, it was like $1,000. Um, and the judge said, you know, I have to talk to my supervisor. Like he, he said, I have to talk to the PJ, the presiding judge. And he went back and I think he went and talked to them about whether or not they can take it out of order because he wasn't dismissing the case. They were going to refile and retry it. And he said, I don't know whether or not I can do that right now. So he goes back and he talks to somebody. I don't even know who. So he's saying... I don't know if I can make a determination of whether or not he violated probation right now because this open domestic violence case is still pending. Well, yes, but yes. That's what he's essentially, saying. Essentially. So essentially. I need to go talk to my investor. That okay. is so completely ignorant and incorrect. I'm sorry, but that is just so wrong it's, in every way. It's wrong on so many levels. It's wrong because he, first of all, the the, the people that... I know that you're on probation to the court, right? You're not on probation to the prosecutors, but the prosecutors are not opposed to letting this guy out on this felony probation violation. You've heard most of the evidence that was coming out. You've heard the entirety of the people's case, right? Or the prosecution's case, really. Um, You've heard the entirety of their case, and you know that if there's going to be a mistrial, that this person is going to spend an additional 30 days in jail before they get their trial again. You know that. So it's essentially a way of keeping leverage. Yeah, that's why it's emotionally wrong. But why it's legally wrong is that he's heard all, he's having a probation violation hearing concurrent to the trial. So just because the there's a mistrial at the conclusion of evidence doesn't mean he can't say, I will continue to hear any further evidence on the probation violation. Oh, prosecutor, you don't have any. Oh, defense attorney, you don't have any. Okay, I'm ready to rule. He can rule on it once both parties say they have no further evidence for the probation violation hearing. Just because the trial goes away doesn't mean that changes the posture of the probation violation hearing. So he could have done it, but he just was woefully incorrect. And you're wanting, you want him to rule that he violated his probation and let him out of custody. What what I want him to do is I want him to just allow my client to admit violating probation. Admit it, okay? okay. Without any additional like language that could be used against him in a future trial. Just to admit it and to revoke and reinstate so that he can go out and he could fight this case again from the outside. Okay? okay. So he comes back and he says, "Look, I can't allow him to admit it. And let me tell you right now that if I were to do this probation violation hearing, I've heard enough where even if I don't think that he's uh, guilty, that I can order domestic violence conditions to be a part of his felony probation. 
because it's essentially that's what he's right. saying. And uh, when I looked at the law, the case law for it, I, I probation is really broad, and I I do think that based on what he heard, he can. Uh, order domestic violence classes for that even though right. it's an unrelated charge so he said i can order that um and that's really the only thing that he, your client is going to have to do if he gets uh convicted of the domestic violence charge he said so i don't see any purpose in your client oh, no. you know having another trial and i go and i turn to my client because this whole time he's been quiet you know and he's been listening and he doesn't understand what the hell is going on yeah. so i turn to him and i tell him hey look prosecutor made a mistake and you're being punished for that mistake okay and really what's going to happen is if you want to try this case again you have to spend another 30 days in jail and he said i i did it once i can't do it again i did it once i can't do it again And and it really broke my heart hearing that um and i told him i told him you know i I got really emotional because I was really kind of invested. I get invested in my clients, especially clients that I go all the way to trial with, you know. And I told them, you know, like, don't blame yourself, really. It's it, it's natural to feel that way. You know, you've been in, in jail for 30 days. Uh, it would break an innocent person. You know, a lot of people have broken qu- way quicker than you have. And, you know, um, I'm proud of you for, like, sticking up for, your, you know, what you believed was right and trying to fight this. And the judge said, well, look, He's going to have to do domestic violence classes if he agrees to this. But he turned to the prosecutor and he said, you're going to offer something that's not a domestic violence charge. You're going to you're going to do that. Like you're going to look into that and come back with something. So the prosecutor comes back and says, OK, well, um, trespassing with no probation for the trespassing. And uh, that's it. And I turned to my client and I said, you know, this feels dirty. And I know it feels dirty for you. And if you're willing to fight it, I'm, I'm here and I'll help you out in any way I can. I want you to fight it. But I understand if you make a decision uh, based on, you know, the fact that you're going to have to spend another 30 days in jail. And he said, yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it again. So he pled to a, a trespassing and uh, he got domestic violence conditions added on to his probation violation for his felony. And truly, it was a, a miscarriage of justice. Yeah. Well, it just it feels dirty because here you're doing the trial and the the other side's being dirty. And then your client's the one that ends up getting dinged for it. Still, yeah. still, like, what can you do? What more can you do to make sure the system's fair? You go all the way to the point where the prosecutor or the judge says prosecution, prosecutorial misconduct. They throw up some BS argument. They're all like, OK, that's what that is. And then we'll just we'll just slam it onto the client or to the defendant. It's the easy way out. And it's crazy because the judge saw so much wrong stuff go down, like over and over and over again, and then completely walked back everything he said. Like that's the hard part is he actually acknowledged it like on the record and then took it back. Yeah, it was it was really rough. Um, and you know, I feel I feel so bad for my client. I I felt so bad for him. Um, but he was, he was happy that he was going to be able to get out at that point. He was just, he's like, I'm over it. I'm just never going to talk to her again. Um, and I'll learn from my mistake of, you know, like, and he thought he was, he made a mistake. And when he said, I'll learn from my mistakes, I said, you didn't make any mistakes, man. Like if you, if you look at it like that, then they've are, they've won even more than they already have today. You know, I still, uh, I still stay in contact with them. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Like just phone calls or email or? No, I mean, I have a Google voice. TikTok? And, and I just like, he texts me every now and then. Mm-hmm. And I text him back. It's like I said, I think he's a good kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you did a good job. Yeah, you did. You did fantastic. As good as anyone could do. Um, one future tip for attorneys in a similar situation. Sure. Uh, that I found out after the fact. Yeah. Um, is that if the court makes on its own motion a mistrial, that the standard changes for whether or not they can dismiss with prejudice. Um, it's only when a defense attorney asks for a mistrial that the standard is really high where you have to show that the prosecutor is gaming the system. If the court makes of it uh, makes it of its own motion, any kind of misconduct could be the is, is enough. And um, essentially, if I had turned to the court and said, well, do you have a motion? It could have it could have solved some issues, and, and that's not something you can really know in the heat in of the moment. Right. Yeah, but if you also knew it and said that, he would have gotten really confused, and then he would have been like, "No, you have a motion," <laughs> and then you're like, "No, you have a motion," <laughs> and then it would be really hard for the prosecutor because she doesn't understand English, so she wouldn't even know what's going on at all. Yeah, I don't think she understood what was going on at all during that entire trial. Jesus. Well, Shohan, thanks for coming on the show yeah. today and, and sharing this uh, fucked up jury trial you did. Yeah. Um, so uh, how long have you been a public defender for? I know you're new, kind of new at the office, but you were a public defender before you came in, right? Yeah, it's um, getting close to three years. Okay. Yeah. And, and why did you want to be a public defender? So when, when I was really young, um, my uncle, he's an attorney. He's the only other attorney in, in my family. He would bring home like his law books when he was going to school and I would just like, I didn't even know what they were. I would just open them and look through them, just like flip through them. And I remember reading like uh, a criminal law book and it had a lot of hypotheticals, you know, a lot of hypotheticals. And I'm like, wow, you can do this as a job. Like this sounds really cool. Like I was really fucked up as a kid, you know? (laughs) Uh, and I'm like, I I really want to get into that. And then, um, small secret, um, and super misguided. But when I was like in high school or not like college, right. Uh, what initially I wanted to do was I'm like, I want to be a part of the justice system. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I want to be a prosecutor and people who know me right now would think like, what the fuck, you know? Um, and I remember I went to, I was in San Francisco and, um, I had an acquaintance that was a prosecutor there. And I went and I watched what they were doing and he took me to an arraignment courtroom and, um, and he showed me what was happening. And basically there were these guys lined up in a cage and the prosecutors were saying, we want bail. Uh, defense attorneys were saying, we want them to be released. And the judge was just like, no, they're going to stay in jail and just like, keep, keep, keep the files going. And I was sitting there and I'm like, this is really fucked up. It's really fucked up. And I'm like, what are these cases? Are these serious cases? And he's like, these are misdemeanors. And I'm like, these people are in in jail. Then they're going to stay in jail because of misdemeanors. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to be a prosecutor. Um, And that's when I really got shifted. My mind got a little, you know, shifted. And I'm like, okay, let me try out the public defender's office. And um, I interned there and I, I fucking loved it. I loved it. And that was it. It was like a romance with, at that point for me, it was like, um, I loved the people there. I loved helping people. And it feels really good at the end of the day, knowing that you're getting people out of cages rather than putting them in cages. Yeah. So, 
um, it's really inhuman uh, the way that people are dealt with in this system. Um, and it feels good to be a part, a small part of it, fighting against it. And, you know, getting paid by the man to screw with the man is really fun. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We're like a cancer on the system. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Shahan. Thank you, man. And Omid, Molly, guys, you guys are great, too. And and if I can, I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Evan Greenberg. He's a public defender out in Solano County. Oh, I'm yeah. sure he's going to be listening. He's a longtime fan. Evan, um, thanks for the support. And, dude, why don't you uh, check out our website and fill out a submission form. We'll get you on the show, too, buddy. He's a great attorney. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Another Not Guilty. Shout out to Daniel Mark, original A&G theme music composer, and Mike Grimm for the remix. And guess what? We'll be back in two weeks with Another Not Guilty straight from the trenches. <laughs> <laughs>